Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers you talk, deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. And actually, it's not Boyd. Maybe a little better looking than Boyd. Oh, but uh, he's not here to defend himself. Boyd's a good friend of ours. I'm Derek Brown. I'm here with my co host, Leah Murray, and we are the Boyd stand-ins for the the day. We're the substitutes, that's right. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so we're going to talk for just a moment about spending at the national level. So when Republicans took back the House this year, they promised to balance the budget in a decade. So is this lofty goal as attainable as it seems? Eh, Probably not. And it's not the first time that Republicans have promised big spending cuts and threatened to default and then frankly, gone back to business as usual. It's something we've seen just recently. So the question is, how do we get past the gimmicks and really get serious as a nation about our spending? So we have with us Brian Riedel, who is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, who recently wrote a a really interesting article in the Dispatch about this very issue. So Brian, thank you for joining us today on Inside Sources. Glad to be here. Thank you. So start out, first of all, tell us a little bit about kind of the, the overall big picture, because I feel like while some may th- hear about budget deficits and things, it, I think it's kind of a snoozer of an issue. I, I'm convinced that a decade or so from now, we may look back on this time and realize that this was quite possibly the single biggest issue that we didn't face head on as a country, and we're going to see ramifications. So tell us a little bit about kind of why you wrote this piece and where you think the the fight on deficits is going. Yeah, I mean, the thing about a debt crisis and a financial crisis is you don't get any advanced warning when they come. So the fact that it's, it might be sunny out today for the economy uh, in terms of, the, you know, some of these finances doesn't mean that, that we're not in danger. And the deficit has already added $7 trillion over the, next, over the last three years. And deficits which are a trillion dollars now, are on course to head back to 2 to $3 trillion a year by the end of the decade. The problem with as all this debt grows is that within a couple decades, just the interest on the debt will take half of your tax dollars. And if interest rates keep rising, we could get to the point within 20 to 30 years where 70 cents of every dollar you spend is just going to interest on, on this huge debt. So at that point, you really your choice is to either double taxes or dramatically slash spending. And we're going to look back in that situation and say, why didn't we see this coming? Why didn't we enact some reforms along the way gradually? And why do we have to do drastic reforms now? Well, it's, it's because people are just waiting for the crisis rather than acting first. 
All right. So in your article, you've got um, kind of a normative argument that says fiscal conservatives should aim to permanently stabilize the debt at 95 percent of GDP rather than allowing it to rise toward the 200 percent of GDP over decades. I'm wondering, first of all, why is that the position? And actually, I'll just tell you, we interviewed our Utah um, Congressional District 1 representative, Blake Moore, and he has a similar position. Like he said, it's about a percentage of the GDP. So just talk to us about why that's the right answer. And then, oh, my goodness, how could we do it? Like, how do we get there? Yeah, the reality is we can't balance the budget. And it's just simply the amount of cuts and tax hikes it would take are, are simply just unrealistic. But as long as the borrowing is only growing as fast as the economy, think of it like a family. If your income doubles, you can take on a mortgage payment that's double as long as your income is rising just as fast. So if you keep your debt to the same share of the economy, then your, your new debt is just matching your new income and you can afford that. The danger is when your debt's growing faster than the economy and your monthly payment's growing twice as fast as your income. So I, I don't think a balanced budget's realistic, but if we can stabilize the debt at the current level, about 95% of GDP, that's survivable. If we start heading to 150, 200, 300% of GDP, that, that is almost guaranteed to cause a, a debt crisis. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Brian, tell us a little bit. You know, they often say you don't get hit by a bus you see coming two miles away. And we've been seeing this for years. In fact, I worked almost two two decades ago, I worked as a counsel for Senator Bennett in, in Washington, D.C. And I remember him talking about this and raising this this flag and saying, this is a problem. We need to address this. This is a bus that's going to hit us if we don't do something soon. And Two decades later, we're still talking about this issue. Sure. How did we get here? Yeah, I mean, two decades ago, you know, some people say, well, I've been hearing about this for two decades and nothing happened. The whole time we've known that the bus is going to hit us in the 2020s and 2030s. But the idea two decades ago was that if we reform then, we would only have to affect people under the age of 40 or 45. We could, if we would have done it 25 years ago, we could have exempted everybody over the age of 45 and within 20 years of retirement. We didn't do it. And so what's happened in the meantime is now we actually have, we're actually in the 2030s and 2020s, I should say, 2020s heading to 2030s. And now we can no longer say reform won't affect you if you're under, if you're over 45. Now we're getting to the point where People retiring now are going to have to pay the price. 
the, people, the, the benefit changes are going to have to affect even current retirees because we didn't take the chance to do it 20 years ago when we could have exempted people who were within 20 years of retirement. And, and, and that's why every time you wait, the, the eventual reforms get harder. All right. So be specific for me. Tell me, tell our listeners, what specifically should the Republicans, if they can get their budget you know, through Congress, let's say it doesn't get held up in the Senate or right, Biden's actually on board. So what specifically, what measure should we be taking? Well, I mean, there, there's, there's what's, what we actually need to do versus what's actually feasible in, in a split government. In terms of what we need to do, we need to, first off, start, start looking at Social Security and Medicare reform. And that means things like increasing the eligibility age a little more gradually, um, changing some of the benefit formulas for the richest seniors. And in fact, if we pare back some of the benefit formulas for the richest seniors, we would actually be able to increase the minimum benefit for the poorest seniors. So no one's going to take away anything from low-income seniors. But if you start to pull back a little bit from the wealthier seniors, you start to raise the eligibility ages, adjust Medicare Part B and D premiums for wealthy seniors, you can start getting Social Security and Medicare addressed. And then beyond that, everything else on the budget has to be on the table. Everything, even, even defense, Medicaid, everything else, realistically, we're probably going to need to to raise some taxes to because the hole is so big that you can't even though social security and medicare are causing the long-term hole the hole is too big to solve just in social security and medicare ultimately everything needs to be on the table sadly though i'm not holding my breath in a split congress exactly and 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 i'm curious just as we look at this issue republicans tend to beat this drum very hard and very regularly I don't hear it as often from the Democrats. What, what is their overall plan? And, and I ask that because I wonder, like, how do they come together? Because you've got one side seemingly talking about it all the time, the other side not really talking about it at all. Does that mean that we've got kind of an impasse here? Or how, how do we solve this? And Brian, we've got yeah, like 30 is, seconds, oh. so go fast. <laughs> This is the big problem right now is Social Security is going to go bankrupt in about 12 years, Medicare in about seven years. But the Democrats really are just kind of delaying and stalling, possibly under the notion that the longer you wait, the more you can do their solution, which is tax hikes, because it'll be too late to change benefits. So they may just be trying to wait it out so that they can do more of a tax solution instead of a spending solution. But we're we're all going to be the losers if, if this doesn't get addressed. Okay, Brian Riedel, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Yeah, coming up on Inside Sources, let's take have a conversation about the Supreme Court failing to find the leaker of the Dobbs decision. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.